0: If you know, for example, you're at a point in your cycle where maybe your hormone levels are low, like just after ovulation or just as, as your period's about to start or the first few days of your period, then that might be a time when you do, do feel more vulnerable.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose, the podcast that explores what makes us feel good to get those happy hormones firing. My next guest is Maisie Hill, a highly qualified and sought after menstrual health expert with over 15 years of experience as a practitioner, coach and birth doula. She's been helping women to deal with reproductive issues and balance their hormones since 2006 and has even been nicknamed the womb whisperer. Maisie created and launched her online membership, The Flow Collective, where she teaches and coaches people across the world so that they can improve their cycle-based symptoms and start working with their hormones. She's also written two books, Period Power, which became an instant bestseller and is also the title of Maisie's podcast, and Perimenopause Power, which she found time to write during the pandemic. I've been wanting to get her on for ages since I interviewed her at Sweaty Betty Live, I think it was back in 2019, so my wish has finally been fulfilled. I hope you enjoy listening to her speak as much as I do. Well Maisie, thank you so much for joining me on the Days podcast, it's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, it's great to be here, it
0: feels like this has been a long time coming from when I we know. first
1: met. Yeah, absolutely yeah i think it was sweaty betty wasn't it it was their festival the annual festival and i was interviewing you on the stage promoting your period power book which had just launched and you've since written another book perimenopause power so you've been keeping very busy okay. i have yeah <laughs> <laughs> did you find the uh the lockdown period like uh, a creative time for you in terms of getting in your flow Yes,
0: it did. It's interesting because, of course, I didn't realise when I signed my book contract for Perimenopause Power that I would be writing it during a pandemic with a four-year-old at home. And yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting because, you know, as we will talk about today, I'm a really big fan of working with your hormones and the flow of what goes on through the cycle. But... You know, when you have a deadline or when life is just going on, you can't always just like wait for your hormones to be in a certain state that is going to make you creative and productive. And I'm a real fan of using mindset and like managing our minds, thinking things on purpose that help us to feel emotions like creative or um confident or whatever it might be. And that's what so much of my work is. So I really got to put those skills to the test when I was writing that book, because I had to coach myself heavily to be able to do it. Because, you know, when I wrote Period Power, it was also, you know, I wrote like, I actually wrote, I think 136,000 words. The contract was only for like 70. So I basically wrote two books in one in four months, oh my God. so I like flew through it, and as a consequence of that, I, I I would say my mental health struggled. And you know, my publishers were amazing. That was pressure I put on myself, but it was it was tough. You know, it was important, but it was tough. And when I wrote Perimenopause Power, my my like thing that I wanted to do with it was to write a book without my mental health being impacted (laughs) which is what happened and like I just felt so resilient actually throughout the whole of the pandemic um and and I feel like that's really a a testament to the work that I do personally and, and also the work that I do with my clients too so um yeah it was, oh. it's been interesting.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. You've achieved so much. And we're obviously huge fans of you and your work at Dose because we're all also all about harnessing your happy hormones specifically to, you know, make you feel good and optimize your health and happiness. So. I absolutely loved reading your book, Period Power. I actually got the Audible version um, because at the time I had like a quite a small baby. So it was like every walk I did with the pram, I'd have you in my ears. And I really found it like such a a life raft, honestly, like just a a kind of a manual for how you should look after your hormones, especially your period. And it's something that should be just taught in schools, I think. They should take all your words and put them into a curriculum. And uh, I agree.
0: (laughs) You're not the first person to say that. And I have definitely... You know, that's on my mind, and certainly where it's an area of where I want to take my work and, you know, to really changing things for people of of all ages, whether we're talking school age or what's going on during perimenopause and postmenopause. I just feel we need to get this out in a bigger way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think you're familiar with the structure of our podcast, but we usually kick off with dopamine, which is all about like motivation, drive productivity um and i know that summer is a key season for all of those amazing things to flow um but yeah going back to the book and and how we can look at harnessing the power of our period to maximize like maximize energy productivity uh, and at the different stages so i mentioned summer there but is that the key season or are there other places in our cycle where we can optimize energy
0: well, here's the deal. So, for everyone listening who maybe isn't familiar with my approach to things, is I split the menstrual cycle up into four seasons. Like we have the four seasons of the year, and this work was really pioneered by Alexandra Pope and Shani Hugo Wurlitzer. And how that kind of pans out is that during menstruation, when you have your period, that's your your winter. And then as your period's finishing and in the run-up to ovulation, that's your spring. Around ovulation is your summer. And when you're in the premenstrual phase, that's your autumn. And the timings of those seasons will switch and change according to your experience. So they're not set by dates. Um, And I like to think of being aware of your cycle as like knowing the weather forecast in advance. Okay. So uh, it can be helpful. It's not always the most accurate. Sometimes it's a bit different, but you know, if at the weekend it's forecast to rain, sometimes you can change your plans, but most of the time you can't, and you just have to be prepared for the rain. And that's what menstrual cycle awareness is for me, is like, yes, sometimes we can attune what's going on in our daily life to suit our cycle, but a lot of the time we can't. And it's about being prepared and knowing what's likely to come up for you and how you can make the most of things. So although, this is a long-winded answer to your question, although there are, I think, particular seasons that lend themselves to productivity and to rest, which is just as important, um, you know, it's not like you have to be bound by them so that's important to say so but generally i would say that if we're able to when we have our periods to rest in some way and that doesn't have to mean lying down on a bed doing nothing for some people they will have to do that because of their symptoms and for others will choose to do it but it can also mean you know going for a jog instead of a like hard run or going for a walk or just like softening things a little bit and i think that when we're able to do that that really powers us up for the rest of the cycle like really just doing things for ourselves that are just for us Mm -hmm. that's how i would summarize it and then spring like your hormones are getting going and that's when we like often feel more playful and curious and things feel possible and doable and then in summer like that's when productivity can really peak but Interestingly, that's also when our hormones usually want us out finding a mate of some kind and having sex. So sitting down at a desk can sometimes be challenging, especially depending on what's going on with your neurotransmitters like dopamine. (laughs)
1: exactly because I guess dopamine can be firing when you're you know doing that work presentation and you might be distracted because you want to go and find a mate so that could be
0: yeah exactly and there's that interplay between estrogen and dopamine and depending on what your base level of dopamine is that will influence how estrogen impacts you like does it help you to focus or do you feel restless and like you need to go out and do things Mm -hmm. Um, and then post ovulation and when you're in the autumn phase of your cycle that's when progesterone can be very soothing and for me I like using that time for deep focused work you know Mm -hmm. like if there's a project that I like want to spend two or three days on I will do it at that point in time and then towards the end of the cycle that's when I just like to potter and you know not do any serious work I like to just like Mm -hmm. (laughs) go through my inbox or you know potter around the house and do odds and ends so Absolutely. There's there's variance in that, but I would say that's quite a common experience of the cycle.
1: Wooker, the UK's first period pants brand, believes that everybody who has periods should have access to affordable, comfortable, sustainable period wear that works. Whether you're into boxes, high waists or thongs. Their award-winning collection starts from £10 and ranges from two extra small to six extra large and are available in light, medium and heavy flow to suit all periods in all bodies. Head to wukka.co.uk to find out more and use the discount code DOSE15 for 15% off. So thinking about the workplace as well. So a lot of us are now working from home, but there have been studies that show that, you know, women are losing their voice on on Zoom calls, for instance, and are struggling to get their voices heard. And they're obviously, we are in a patriarchal society and it's all tailored around men's bodies and their needs. So are there things that we can do with our cycle um, to take control and subvert the power structures and in the workplace specifically?
0: Yes, I think there are. And you know, this is where really getting to know your experience of your cycle pays off because you know, we all have our own unique experiences. But if you know, for example, you're at a point in your cycle where maybe your hormone levels are low like just after ovulation or just as, as your period's about to start or the first few days of your period, then that might be a time when you do do feel more vulnerable or, you know, you perhaps feel like more critical of yourself or, you know, I think it's, it's helpful if you know that and that the reason for that is because you have bugger all hormones happening rather than spending your time criticizing yourself, thinking, Oh, why aren't I speaking up or why aren't I doing this? is like you have that compassion towards yourself of this might be a challenging time for me to speak up. You know, and just that knowing that will shift so much. That being said you know we don't want to just sit there and shut up and not be doing anything and i think this is where actually being aware of our body posture and things can make so much sense and like notice when you're in a nervous system response and you're being activated and you're going into fight or flight which we commonly talk about but there's also freeze right and that might be like you're just sat there saying nothing or when you are in appease, which is sometimes referred to as fawning. And that's when you just basically people please in order to try and feel safe. So if you're feeling threatened by what's going on in a meeting or challenged, or like you're getting, your nervous system is firing up basically, that's where you might go. So having an understanding of that too, and knowing that you can hack things by just adjusting your body position, for example. So, you know, one thing people often do is like we can either get like hunched forward and make ourselves smaller, like we're trying to protect our soft organs. And, you know, that shifts what's going on for us hormonally in terms of the stress response. So something that's very simple to do is just to lean back in your chair and (laughs) like open up your shoulders and like maybe just lean on an elbow on the back of your chair I do it all the time and it's just a great way of reminding your nervous system like hey we're safe here we're okay not yeah. a big deal and then suddenly that starts to shift how we're thinking and feeling and you can be like yeah I'm just going to cut in there because da, 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 da and you just say whatever it is and there will definitely be points in the cycle where that feels more available especially you know when testosterone and estrogen are peaking in the run-up to ovulation that's when we are more up for challenging things and subverting things and interrupting and doing all those fabulous things that we are fantastic at doing.
1: Yeah that was a key feature of your book that I found really inspiring is because I've often realize that there's certain points in my cycle where I'm not as articulate in my speech as others and that's actually down to hormones. It's kind of the, and you've got to, like you say, track where you are and and kind of revisit that to see that there's a pattern. Um, But yeah, I just think, because otherwise you think it's you, like you say, and you kind of, this critical voice in your head starts to kind of playing up and, but actually there is a reason for it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so for example, just as a top tip for everyone listening, one of the things that I might do is, you know, if I'm booking podcasts or or speaking things, you know, there's points in my cycle where my assistant knows, like, let's fill the days with those things because I'm on a roll and you know I have that verbal uh, recall and I'm able to do it really well. But there's other points in my cycle, like premenstrually, when I feel um, less able to do that at that level. So I might just say that I can do two that week and they need to be on separate days. Mm, And I'm just conscious of what else I do on those days that I'm not taxing these parts of myself that I need to rely on in situations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So getting to oxytocin, our love hormone, so we often talk about sex and relationships in this section. So let's think about the pill, because the pill is a is a big one for you, isn't it? It's kind of the reason why I think you got into this world um, helping other people with fertility and menstrual health problems, because you really didn't want to go on the pill as a child, did you? Or as a young teenager, you were quite... Against it?
0: Well, I would say as a teenager, I wanted to go on it. Like, yeah. I wanted to be having sex. I didn't yeah. want yeah. to have a baby. And <laughs> I had horrific period pain. And, you know, that was touted as the option. And mm. I went for it. And it was good in terms of it gave me good levels of contraception and it also took away the period pain. Not because it actually took away the period pain, because it stopped me from having periods, because that's how the pill works. It stops you from ovulating. So you don't actually have periods, you just have what's known as withdrawal bleeds. They're very different. And, but as a consequence of that, my mood tanked, my sexual desire tanked, and, you know, like late teens, going into early 20s, in relationships, you know, and, but, not actually feeling up for having sex you know beyond i would say like the early stage in the relationship where like oxytocin's going wild and you know you're in that real strong bonding let's have sex all the time phase but then after that i was just like mm, nothing nothing and I, and i just didn't feel responsive to things as well and um you know there are different types of sexual desire there's you know, responsive desire, which is what most quote unquote females have. And then, um, oh God, I can't remember the other type of desire, but it's just like where it just comes out of the blue. I can't remember its official name right now. Um, And and males are more likely to have that, right? And, And females can have it too, that, you know, there is crossover, but I didn't even feel like I had that responsive desire. I just felt quite numb. And I think that would also describe my mood at the time so um you know and this is quite common I would say as as being on the pill for some people their desire will go up because they know that they can't conceive so Mm. or they're far less likely to conceive I should say so you know it can people can have different experiences but most of the people I speak to um haven't really had a great time on it or, or they haven't even really liked their reasons for being on it
1: yeah, and there's a big trend kind of going away from the pill now. I mean, I'm finding the the content that we are generating on on dose like people are really interested in knowing like how to come off it gradually and what other options there are if you don't want to have a baby. And I think a lot of it is to do with just getting back in touch with your actual hormones and not having like synthetic ones controlling what you're doing. I mean, I was on it for about 15 years. It's a long, or maybe a bit less, but um, I found when I was conceiving my first baby it took a little longer my second one not so long and I wondered if that was because of the pill perhaps because you have to get back in touch don't you with your cycle and yeah and just get back to to the way nature intended
0: yeah and I think it you know it can take a while also for the cycle to return um you know some it's quicker than others but yeah it can take quite a while for some people and I think my general recommendation is if you're thinking of coming off it particularly if you have a plan to start trying to conceive probably come off it sooner than you think to give your body time to adjust and to start ovulating again and also to become You know topped up in all the nutrients that the pill depletes because this is widely known across the scientific literature that the pill depletes us of nutrients that are essential for conceiving and sustaining a healthy pregnancy so you know just for that i would say like come off it look at your nutrition take some decent quality supplements and really get your body ready for pregnancy long before you actually start trying
1: okay And so also thinking about uh, ways of boosting sex drive naturally. So working with your seasons, what what tips have you got for us there? Ah,
0: so, you know, uh, sexual desire, again, varies, but often people can feel uh, more up for it, more inclined to have it. Um, actually around the time a period is due can be a time because there's like increased blood flow and some hormonal shifts going on that can create desire there and and as a period is starting. And um, once estrogen gets going, that's often when uh, an, an inkling of something starts coming in and then you know, it makes sense in the run-up to ovulation, that might then increase because that's the time when you are able to conceive in the cycle. So it makes absolute sense that we have that um, interest in having sex. So um, it's that can go on. I mean, I would say like when sexual desire emerges in the autumn phase of the cycle premenstrually, You wanna get it on it as soon as it can because often that desire doesn't linger around. It can just be quite fleeting. Um, So yeah, there are variations there, but in terms of increasing sexual desire, my top tip is to think about things, think thoughts that create that desire because our biggest sex organ is our brain. And like we can completely forget that and all the focus goes on our genitals and what's going on hormonally. But actually, you know, when you think about if you first met a partner, how did you think about them? You would be thinking things all the time like, oh, my God, they're so hot. I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to have sex with them. And you're thinking all these thoughts that create desire. And you can still think those thoughts about someone. Might be more challenging, like if you're just seeing their dirty laundry on the ground.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of my <laughs> life. For sure. Yeah. Preparing for but Airbnb. Off. Shit Don't. everywhere.
0: But we can stimulate <laughs> desire through how we think about the person that we want to be having sex with.
1: Yeah, I find this really interesting because I've spoken to like, uh, vagina awareness sex coach in a different podcast where she talks about the importance of getting out of the head and, and into the body because the more that we are in our head, the more disconnected we become. But I kind of disagree because I'm with you that the more I use my brain and like have those thoughts, like that's what gears me up and I know it gears up a lot of people. So it's, it's I don't know, It's a, maybe it's just dependent on the type of person you are. I know that Tantra is all about getting in your body, isn't it? As opposed, yeah, and, shutting and I think mind, like you. having
0: that being plugged into sensory things Mm. can be helpful because then we get more in tune with when we are experiencing desire so but you know that can look like lots of different things that can be you know having some nice dark chocolate and really savoring it and really enjoying it Um, and you know it can be just like listening to things and just tuning into things with our senses but it's going to really vary because like I experience a lot of sensory dysregulation because I'm autistic and so for me sometimes like becoming more tuned to my senses can be problematic and again that varies according to the cycle so I think the key thing is just whatever works roll with it
1: (laughs) absolutely whatever works for you and uh, so you mentioned there that you can find uh, sexual desire when you're kind of coming up to your period. So like for people out there who who are on their period and, and want to have sex and their husband or partner or girlfriend, boyfriend isn't up for it. Like how how can we navigate this? Because I also read, I think it was in your book that um, orgasms actually work for period cramps. Is that right?
0: Yeah, they can do. I would say they, they can do. Some people, particularly people with... Um, pelvic pain and some conditions like endometriosis, sometimes orgasm can create more pain depending on where the endometriosis is, for example. So I I wouldn't say for everyone, but yes, orgasm can help. And of course, orgasm doesn't have to come through penetration. Okay, and in fact, for most of us, orgasms don't come through penetration. They come through uh, clitoral stimulation, so, you know, that can be through masturbation, sex toys, you know, that, I mean, I, I don't need to list the options. You can, <laughs> everyone can be creative. You've all got your own preferences here. But yeah, there are options. It doesn't have to involve your partner, doesn't have to involve a penis, doesn't have to involve penetration of any kind.
1: Yeah, Nice so getting to serotonin which is kind of like more of a general mood stabilizer that we often associate with things like sleep and nutrition um let's think about like irregular hormone imbalances how do we know if it is irregular or if it's just us through like very normal throughout our stage of the cycle oh such a great question so my take
0: on this is that it's normal for us to experience variation throughout the cycle you know it's like our energy shifts, our mood, our behavior, those things shift according to the ebb and flow of our hormones. But I would say it's like, are you getting symptoms that are bothering you? You know, and like some changes, like just part and parcel. Like for example, um, once progesterone kicks in after ovulation, that's when you might notice yourself just slowing down a bit and, just switching gears your digestion might slow down a bit and things change there that's just the influence of progesterone but if you're constipated for a week that's a problem right so it's just like seeing like oh is this a subtle change and i'm just noticing that or is this becoming a symptom and certainly if it's a symptom that is impacting your daily life in some way then that could point to a hormonal imbalance amongst other things as well so um you know, there's, there's lots of different ways of looking at that. But Mm -hmm. that's, that would be my main thing is like, if it's bothering you, think of it as a symptom and see if that symptom appears um, on the list of hormone imbalances. And they're all in my book.
1: Mm -hmm. because there's that like negative kind of association with pmt isn't there like this kind of stamp that that's when you go mad at that time of the month and you know all these kind of old negative connotations like i don't know in my family there's this joke about like bertha in the attic like that's when she comes out like in the pmt phase which is really like quite damaging and like not very helpful but um yeah it's kind of it's getting over that isn't it and realizing that it's okay we all have these sorts of fluctuations
0: Yeah. And for some people, they will be really severe fluctuations, you know, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD um, is really quite common. And I think it's really underdiagnosed and often misdiagnosed, but that's really described as like an extreme form of PMS. And it can be very extreme. There's quite a high um, suicide risk with it. So, you know, for some people, it will be that extreme and it will be literally like they're one person in the first half of the cycle and there's someone else in the second half of the cycle, uh, which is why it's often misdiagnosed as rapid cycling bipolar disorder. So, but you know, most people I would say have a different experience in the second half of the cycle and that's for good reason. You know, first Mm -hmm. half of the cycle, your hormones want you out there finding your mate, having sex, getting knocked up. Second half of the cycle, your hormones want to keep you safe in case you are pregnant. So you are likely to have a different experience and that's okay
1: yeah and so if we are experiencing really chronic pain with our periods um and we want to tackle it in a very natural way are there things you recommend like aromatherapy or acupuncture all of it really um i mean
0: i i came to this work because i had such debilitating period pain um from the get-go really and that was my experience in my 20s, when I came off, the pill was really trying to improve the period pain before going down um, a surgical route, basically. So I tried lots of things. and I ended up being qualified in lots of them. But for me, what really worked in terms of treatments. Uh, so they're the ones that I like to recommend. They're also the ones I'm qualified in. So, you know, there is a bias there. But I would say Chinese medicine in terms of acupuncture and Chinese herbs. um, there are Vigo techniques of my abdominal therapy, which is referred to as ATMAT. That's like a abdominal and back massage, which you are taught how to do on yourself as a self-care routine. Um, and nutritional therapy, like they are my top recommendations for working with practitioners. And I think it's helpful for people to know that there are kind of lower cost community practices where you can uh, pay a reduced fee. There's also lots of Uh, colleges and universities that have these programs and you can go and get reduced cost treatment at a very accessible rate. Um, So that's what I like to recommend. But, you know, there's a place for ibuprofen, hot water bottles, hot baths, working with your cycle through all of the cycle. I just had one of my members in the Flow Collective share how her period pain has reduced so much. And all she's done is track her cycle and work with her cycle. Like she hasn't actually done acupuncture or any of these other things, but she's had such a radical change in what her period is like. So even just tracking your cycle is an intervention that can make a difference.
1: So thinking about sleep, um, are there certain times in our cycle when we need less or need more? Well...
0: I mean, what I like to recommend to people is that there's a point in the cycle when progesterone is peaking. So that would be like five to seven days around that mark before your period starts. When sleep is easier and sleep is deeper and we are more rejuvenated by it. And arguably we need it more at that point in the cycle as well, I would say. So don't miss out on that opportunity to sleep. Okay. Because what then happens after that is your hormone levels drop as your period is about to start. And that's when people can struggle to fall asleep and stay asleep and insomnia and night sweats and things become a problem. So it's really great if you can capitalize on that ability to sleep well uh, when progesterone is peaking. Um, and then. You know, in that first half of the cycle, that's when you might be more inclined to stay up late or to be going out and about doing social things. And that's also a time when appetite can be suppressed a bit and sexual desire comes up and it basically all points to the behavior that I've spoken about of go out, find a mate, have sex.
1: (laughs) I love that, it's what it's all about basically, it's why we're here. Um, Which brings us nicely onto nutrition, because as you mentioned, you probably don't want to eat as much when you're looking for a mate, but maybe you want to eat a little bit more when you're in your winter, when you're feeling a little bit sorry for yourself. Um, uh, Is that, are there any kind of key nutrients that we should be taking like around in the different seasons?
0: Well, I would say here, because I think people can get really hung up on what to eat when what you know when to do this and that and this is like maybe quite boring and not what people want to hear but I would just say like a well-balanced nutrient-dense diet all of the time is going to be your best bet and like really varying things you eat chewing well not skipping meals eating enough you know making sure you're not excluding whole food groups like fat and carbs, because, you know, that's what most of us grew up hearing we needed to do. Um, And, you know, getting enough protein, just enjoying your food as well. Like I'm like more keen to push that message rather than you should eat this on these days
1: yeah and I remember when I interviewed you before we talked a little bit about alcohol and the link with estrogen can you talk to us a bit about that
0: yeah so I mean there's all sorts going on here but you know just to keep it brief uh there are more details in the book but um you know your liver estrogen is a fantastic hormone but it's a hormone that we want to use and then lose we want to um, process it through the body and the way that estrogen is processed is via the liver so, you you know, you don't want your liver being taken up with processing alcohol. Um, and also, alcohol is one thing that can drive oestrogen imbalance in terms of having excess oestrogen, which can cause all sorts of symptoms like uh, breast tenderness, bloating. I mean, the range of symptoms with high oestrogen is high, including like mood stuff like irritability and rage. So... Um, And also, I think it's just not particularly helpful, particularly when you're premenstrual and maybe more prone to criticizing yourself, doubting yourself. You know, those things are possibly already existing and then you add in a hangover as well and you've got even more to have to deal with. So I think it's just kinder to ourselves if we avoid that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what about like thinking about shame in relation to the cycle? Because for too long, it's almost been a kind of nuisance, isn't it? A period, it's something that we have to kind of stop and and try and avoid as much as possible um in conversation. So, like, what are some ways that we can kind of treat it less as a taboo subject?
0: Mm. Well, it's really interesting because I do think things are shifting here, and uh, and there is less shame. I do think it's showing up in other places though, but you know, to that, I think just really looking at our own stories and, you know, our first experience of our period and what was going on around us then and how has that like imprinted on our experience of the cycle. And also, you know, if your parents and family members are still alive, perhaps having conversations with them about what their menstrual journey has been like and their their. pregnancies and postpartum and the experience of perimenopause, because that all then feeds into the experience that we have. So I think just being aware of what you're bringing to the table in terms of your own story and what's happened generationally in the family, that's really helpful. And just being, I think, practicing being okay with bleeding in the environments that feel safe for you to do so. So, you know, that might mean being upfront with a friend and, and just saying, you know what, I'd love to hang out that week, but I think my period's probably gonna be starting. So could we do it on this day instead? And just, you know, little things like that go a big way to dealing with the shame. Mm. And I would say also, it's like, it's not our shame, it's shame that's being put on us through patriarchy. So just know that it's internalized patriarchy and it's not its not yours to hold. You don't have to hold it.
1: Yeah. And I also think the rise of these kind of menstrual cups have been really helpful for kind of getting people to just like kind of look at it, you know, and, and just see it as just part of our bodies. And it's interesting because uh, they the kind of the popularity of the cups kind of really took over when I was pregnant so I didn't have my period for a really long time and then it it came back for like a month before I had I got pregnant again so I only used it like for one month and it I think over the course of like two three years even so I'm really looking forward to when it comes back so I can use it again because I I just think they're game like it's a game changer because for the environment obviously but also just in terms of how we see periods it's just been really helpful I think.
0: Yeah, they, uh, a lot of people really love them and, you know, find them really useful. And I love recommending the cup effect because they, for every cup you buy, they donate cups to people who can't access them. So um, that would be my top recommendation of somewhere to go if you're looking for a cup.
1: Well, oh, nice. So getting to endorphins, which I know it's pain relief, essentially, but we often associate them uh, with fitness, because our bodies produce it um, as a kind of reward to our active endeavors. Um, but there is a, a price we pay with periods, especially athletes, when they kind of over exercise and put their bodies into that kind of level of stress, our periods can often stop, can't they? So What advice would you give to athletes who are kind of going through that at the moment and want to get their periods back?
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is something that myself and my colleagues are seeing so much of in athletes, but also just in regular people who probably wouldn't describe themselves as athletes. It has become a real issue. And, you know, it's really important to know that if You are not getting adequate nutrients and like you're not eating enough to match the level of physical activity that you're going through. And particularly, I would say what's common, what my clients who have this condition like describe most to me is that they have uh, high levels of stress and that's impacting their mental health. And so they start exercising and it's like this magic bullet, understandably, that they feel better and it resolves their mental health issues. Fantastic. But then they're like reliant on the exercise. And I'm not slating exercise. It's fantastic. I love it too. But if we're not tending to our mental health in other ways, we can become over-reliant on it as the way to cope. And then basically we're just like doing too much and you know particularly if you are following a particular dietary pattern uh that maybe you've seen on social media or being targeted with through social media ads or you know people you're following are uh eating in these particular ways that can become really quite challenging for the body because it's just basically like oh hey times are lean like there's not enough nutrients around let's save energy by not ovulating because clearly this isn't a good time to get pregnant because look, we're stressed out and there's not enough food to go around. So there's no point in having that reproductive system being turned on. So that's what I see happening really commonly. And this is why a multifaceted approach. So actually, you know, cause you, you don't want to like uh, take away the exercise, the thing that's helping someone get through when they haven't got other tools in their tool belt to use so that's what i do with my clients is really help them to improve their mental health and to get their cycle back by looking at food and their attitudes to food how they think and feel about their body you know all of these things but you know you can get your your period back it hasn't gone forever
1: Mm. yeah no it's interesting you say because obviously exercise is is amazing for giving us that kind of that run is high that feeling of euphoria but it's just when people overdo it right they take it to the extreme it just it is a form of stress and if you're already very stressed out then you're just kind of yeah creating problems yeah.
0: and i think it's, it's interesting because what we think of as it, extreme can often prevent us from seeing how much we're exercising mm. you know and often it's it's not what you imagine extreme is it can be far less
1: yeah and throughout the cycle we obviously um like you mentioned before we have our our hormones all vary so like you know testosterone might be more prevalent in other seasons than others and and this all impacts um our athletic performance doesn't it like our flexibility our endurance and we're seeing a real rise in um kind of fitness being tailored to your cycle and where you're at with that so are there different stages of our cycles when we are more like I don't know, in a better position to do some running or then like a bar workout or yoga or Pilates.
0: Yeah, again, I wouldn't want to get too prescriptive with this because I think no. the main thing is like you are in tune with your own body and uh, tailoring things to suit where you feel your body is at. Um, but I think, you know, going a bit softer around the time of your period can be helpful and then, you know, getting things going. I think, you know, it's typically known in a run up to ovulation, that's when you might be more likely to hit your personal best and to kind of push a bit and to like amp things up a bit. And then I like to think of The premenstrual time, the second half of the cycle is just maintaining the stuff that you've achieved in the first half instead of, you know, as humans, we always want to go harder and go more and keep going. But I think there's a lot to be said for building things up in the first half of the cycle and then switching to maintaining and integrating things in the second half and, you know, really doing the things that suit you. Like I love doing stuff. I just love being outside in the second half of the cycle. That's really important to me. And in the first half of my cycle, like there's this key point where I feel like I'm entering my summer where I just get the urge to do handstands. And I just want to move my body in really freeing ways that, you know, probably in the second half of my cycle, be like, oh God, we're not doing that. You know, so you can like go with that and think about doing things that are more adventurous perhaps. And in the second half of the cycle, like you might be more up for doing a group class or like meeting a friend for a run so sometimes it's not the form of exercise but it's how we go about exercising and and changing the environment and who we do it with
1: Amazing. Amazing. I could listen to you for hours. Uh, I, I could I, talk I do to, hours. to you for hours. I love these book. questions. That's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Um, but I, I'm conscious that, you know, you're a very busy person and you have lots of things going on. But um, so just to wrap up, could you uh, let our listeners know where they can find you online and how they can sign up to be a member of your community mm-hmm. as well?
0: Yeah, I can. So uh, if you were into this, I really recommend listening to my podcast, The Period Power Podcast, because there's whole episodes about productivity and all sorts of things on there so you know they're just like bite-sized 15-20 minutes but you'll get a lot out of them and then the flow collective is my monthly membership where i do webinars and coach the members and we have this incredible community um and enrollment for that will be open again we just closed so probably it's going to be september but you can get on the wait list by going to my website maizeyhill.com
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I hope we get to meet in the flesh in the future when events <sighs> Me open <up> too. <laughs> well, thank you for today. I've really enjoyed answering your questions. Awesome. Thank you. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.